guys. I'm going to pray for you. Then. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Just thank you for my brother, Lord. Thank you for your hand upon his life. Thank you, Lord, for his strength and his consistency in you. Thank you for his authenticity, Lord. We just ask, Holy Spirit, that you will fall on this hour, Lord, that you will minister in and through him to the glory of God. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning. Okay, so I've been asked to speak on relationships today. This is one of our core values in the church. And, um, it's always a bit more difficult when you're asked to speak on a subject and then you've got to kind of work your heart around that subject rather than what's on your heart, you know. So I've, uh, I've done my best to put a message together today. I believe God has put this message on my heart. And uh, if you just turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, and we're going to read through to verse 14, and the title of this message today is Relationships Should Flow, Relationships Should Flow, and I'm going to be speaking on three different categories of relationships today, you know the first category being relationship with God, first and foremost. Relationship with other people and relationships with your own relationship with yourself. Having a healthy relationship in all these areas, all these categories. And you'll find it, you'll find all these categories of relationships within these scriptures that I'm going to read out to you. But let me just give you a bit of context before we read these scriptures. So, Jesus just finished uh, discussing with the Sadducees about the, the resurrection. They've been trying to trip him up with trick questions, and they've uh, they've trying to trap him. Uh, hopefully, they're trying to proclaim him a false prophet. Hopefully, wanting in here, they will be hoping they could probably stone him to death. But in the end, and the Pharisees have been paying attention to what Jesus has been saying, and uh, and now it's their turn. Jesus answered perfectly, and it's their turn. So the, the, the Pharisees come along, and they ask him a, a, a questions, trying to trap him up as well. So, let's just read from verse 36. This is the Pharisees talking to Jesus, and they say, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replies, and he replies wonderfully. He replies perfectly. His answer is heavenly sound. His answer is earthly sound, and it's practical. Jesus always answers perfectly. And what he says is, he says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's relationship number one. This is the first and greatest commandment. Now that's important too. Verse 38 is important. I want to go back to that in just a moment. But let me just allow me to carry on reading. Verse 39 is the second. So the second commandment is equally important. Love your neighbour as yourself. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Now I think you'll find that these three categories of relationships, umbrella, all relationships, is not a relationship that you can think of, or that I could think of, that doesn't fit into them three categories. You've got to love God, love people, and love yourself. And I find it interesting what also it umbrellas as well, is the entire law and the demands of the prophets, as it says it's based on these two commandments. And if you love God first, you're not going to put any other gods before. 
look at the Ten Commandments. We're not going to break the first commandment, which is that you should not put, put false gods before me. Because if you love God with all your heart, you're not going to do that either. If you love people, if you love your neighbour as yourself, and I think it's important as well that we establish that loving yourself is important. Because if I love myself to this standard, when it should be this standard, isn't my capacity of loving other people hindered? Do you know? I think it's sort of important to establish that first. But you thou shalt not steal. You're not going to steal off your neighbour if you if you love your neighbour. You're not going to covet his belongings or sleep with his wife or murder him if you love your neighbour. So it umbrellas all the all of the prophets. Love covers everything. If you love God and you love people and you love yourself, you're on the right track. There's a lot more to it than that, of course, but you're on the right track. Let's just go back to verse 38 for a moment. It says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Why is it the first and greatest commandment to love God first? Well, it's, it's as simple as this. If we don't love God first, then we, our capacity of loving people comes from loving God. And I'll, I'll break it down like this. You know, there's three types of love in the, in the Greek language. There's agape love, there's filial love, and there's eros love. Now, agape love is, is God's love. It's exclusive only to Christians. You know, there's filial love, which is the love for a family member, or, or a friend, or a best friend. You know, when you when you lose a loved one, you know, that's the kind of hurt that you get because you've loved them, you've, you've grown up with this person, or you've loved your children, and if you lose someone that you love, that's the kind of that's the kind of filial love that we're talking about. Eros love is a type of love of a sexual relationships, which is where the word erotic comes from. You know, when that, I think it's sad that a lot of people on this earth today have never experienced the first two loves. They've only ever experienced eros love, and they go looking for love in that kind of place. And it's not their fault. Maybe they've grown up in a, in a dysfunctional family. Maybe they've grown up and about too many punches rather than kisses, you know, uh, but actually a lot of the world have never experienced agape love, in fact that will probably be about 90% of the world, you know, I've come to that, that figure, it's just, a, it's just a guess, you know, if you think about all the other world religions and worldliness, you might as well put that all in one, in one section because agape love is, a, is exclusive only to Christians. You've got to be washed in the blood of Jesus to experience God's love. You've got to go through the sacrifice on the cross. You know, Jesus sacrificed his life for us so that we could stand holy and righteous and blameless in God's sight. And then we kind of we kind of receive God's love when we build a relationship with God. So we start to receive his love. And we become containers of that love. We contain God's agape love, the Father's heart for people. We start to contain it. And then we can give it out. Hence the title relationship should flow. Our relationship should flow one to another. You know, if you, you know, when, when you see, if someone says, so I'm meant to love God more than my children, and people don't get that. I'm meant to love God more than, more than my parents. And the world can't understand it, but the reason they can't understand it is because they don't have a relationship with God. You have to, it doesn't mean you're going to love your children less, because, because you love God first. It means you're going to love your children more. You're going to have a greater capacity. You combine agape love with filial love, that's some powerful filial love, isn't it? And you can, hence you can love your children 
more you can ever love them if you didn't love God first. So freely, freely we have received and freely we must give. I just want to talk about a relationship with God for a minute. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? I mean, how can I know if I've got a relationship with God? Does going to church mean that I have a relationship with God? Does, does going to a neighbor mean I have a relationship with God? Does Bible study or communal prayer, does that mean I have a relationship with God? And the answer is no to all these questions individually. Church is good, it's important, it's where we come together. We worship God together. We bring our relationships with God into this place. And it's powerful when we worship together. We need to encourage each other. And that's what, that's what the word encouragement actually just means to empower each other with courage, with kind words, and, and love. God gives so church is important, but that's not where I believe that a relationship with God is cultivated in our own private time. When we shut the door from the world and we we seek in his presence, you know? That time we put aside on a, on a regular basis, daily if possible, an hour a day if possible. It might only be half an hour, could, whatever it is, that quality time we've got each day, we cultivate a relationship with God, we stir our faith within that, and then we bring it to church, right? But it doesn't stop there. You see, the integrity, I've been thinking about this, the integrity of a relationship with God, it needs to come out of our quiet time as well. The integrity when it it's not just in church, it's not just in your quiet time, it's in your daily lives too. You know, as, as, uh, when we go to the workplace, um, when you go on holiday with your kids, whatever you're doing, in your joy, in your sadness, are we asking God into our every situation? Have we got an attitude of worship? Do we, when we go for walks or drive a car on a nice sunny day, do we see like God's beauty all around us? Do we praise God for that? Have we got an attitude that God's with us in every moment? I also think the integrity, the full integrity of having a relationship with God is listening for his voice. Listening for his voice and seeing what he wants from us. But then it's living it out and being obedient to it as well. You know, being obedient to that voice. If you just turn with me to, uh, those of you get Bibles, if you just turn with me, Coming up on the screen, the uh, First Corinthians chapter thirteen. was speaking on Corinthians chapter twelve. I'm on the right track, so I'm following on from that. And it says in my NLT Study Bible at the top uh, that you know this is for point later, where it says at the top is the title to this chapter: Love is the greatest. In all relationships, love has to be love is the greatest thing. And that's God's opinion. You know, it sums up this, excuse me, it sums up this chapter. And uh, that's God's opinion. God's opinion is the one that counts. So if I just read for you from verse 1. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Can we just, let's just look at that for just a moment, what that's actually saying. That's quite a picture that we need to build up here. You know, let's just not look over it and see what's this statement this guy's saying. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth, let's just stop there for a moment. 
How many languages is he on the earth? I don't know, but there's a lot, isn't there? You know, I could probably think about five or ten off the top of my head. But then there's, there's sign language, there's braille language, there's languages in places like the Amazonian rainforest, there's tribes, that languages you've probably never even heard of. Quite a statement to say, if I could speak in all the languages of the earth and interpret all the languages, just think about that for a minute. Traveling the world with someone that could speak in every tongue of the earth. It's quite amazing. It's quite a statement. He said, but it doesn't stop there, he goes to the next level. If I could speak in all the languages of the earth and of angels, now we're talking about heavenly languages, aren't we? Any of us that's got like a, a prayer language, our own personal prayer language with God, is speaking tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit, is speaking tongues. That's wonderful. That's one. You know, think about how many there is. You think about how many millions of Christians speaking different kinds of tongues. All the languages of the earth and of angels, that'd be quite some super person, wouldn't it, to be able to do that. But this is God's opinion. He says, but if this person didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong, gong or a clanging cymbal. That's God's opinion. And God's opinion counts. He found the gift of prophecy, he goes on. And if I understood all God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith, I could move the mountains. Now let's just stop there for a minute now. It's not just a person that speaks in every language of the earth. It's not just a person that speaks in all the heavenly languages that can interpret every single language. But this is a person that speaks in prophecy to the highest level, holds a prophetic office, can direct nations and churches, and address prime ministers. And you, can, you can imagine like Isaiah or Jeremiah or John the Baptist type. Someone that holds that kind of gift and that knows all God's secret plans and, and possessed all knowledge. He has such faith that no problem is too big. Because it's faith that moves mountains. But God's opinion is, for if that person didn't love others, it would be nothing. And that's God's opinion, and it counts. If I gave everything I had to the poor, and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. For if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And that's God's opinion. See, opinions vary, don't they? My opinion might be right or wrong, but that's that's what God says. Love is the greatest. See, God God values love above any spiritual gifting. He values the love for your neighbor that comes from that agape love that we receive from God, combined with that filial love that we can love strangers. We can go out there and love the person on the street and sat outside McDonald's begging. The, the, the mentally ill person that's across the road sat on the bench. We can love that person. And that's, that's that God values that above any calling, above any position, above any spiritual gift. He goes on to say, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. He does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. He's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. See, when we spend time with God as well, we take on his nature, don't we? So building that relationship with God, we start to take on his nature. We just turn to Galatians 5.
Galatians 5 verse 22. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love being the first one again. We take on his nature. We receive that agape love and it starts to transform us. This is what our relationship with God does for us. And we can love better. You see, why is it the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Because every other fruit comes from that place. It all comes from love. It all comes from this agape love. Love God first and you'll have more joy. Love God first and you'll have a peace that surpasses all understanding. The peace that comes from the presence of the Holy Spirit. Love God first and you'll be more patient with people. Some people can be quite intolerable to some people. But God gives us that patience that we can um, be patient with people like that. Acts of kindness come from a place of love. Goodness comes from love. Faithfulness comes from love. Gentleness comes from love. And self-control, well that's the place of loving ourselves into self-discipline. Whether that's physical, mental, or spiritual self-discipline. You see, we need to be a, a good witness as well. We're going to love others. We need to, there needs to be something about our relationship with God that's attracting yeah, to, to others. It's how these relationships need to flow. And if you just turn to 1 Kings chapter, 1 Kings chapter, chapter 10. I'll pick the NIV translation for this because it's got more in it that I want to elaborate on. So, let me just give you a bit of context with, with 1 Kings chapter 10. You know, Solomon, he's talking about Solomon. And he's uh, talking about the wisdom of Solomon. But Solomon's dad was King David, obviously. David was a man after God's own heart. And David forged the nations of Israel through war, through God's commands. And he loved God. And he wrote a lot of the Psalms about how much he loves God and how much God loves him. But you see, when Solomon was a young boy, David had to hand over all the kingdoms to him and had to hand over the reign. So, but the main thing that Solomon, had, that Solomon was handed down from his father was David's relationship with God. He taught him the ways of God. He taught him to love God first. He taught him to seek Him. You know, he, taught, he taught him all the, the laws and, and, and what pleases God. You know? And David passes away and Solomon's a very new king. And uh, he's, he, he would say he was naive. And God came to Solomon, knowing that he was young king, knowing that he didn't have much wisdom. And he said, Solomon, it's like a bit of a genie moment. I'll, I'll grant you one wish. You know, what is it that you wish? You know? He, and, and Solomon could ask for fame, he could ask for riches. But he didn't. He thought about it hard and he said, God, I'm a young king. I don't know much about being a king. And I need to rule. And I need to rule just and fair. So I need wisdom to do this. Well, this pleased God so much that he said to Solomon, I was so pleased that you asked for wisdom and not riches and fame. And because you asked for, uh, for wisdom, I'm going to make you the wisest man on the planet. People are going to travel from far away, from nations, to come and see you and come and listen to your wisdom. You're going to be the most famous man on the planet. You're going to be the most richest man on the planet. And you're going to be the most wisest man on the planet. And that's exactly what happened. See, people were traveling from far and wide, from nations, across nations, to see, to listen to this wisdom. So we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 10, the Queen of Sheba. The Queen of Sheba comes to visit Solomon. When 
And the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord. She came to test Solomon with hard questions. That's important, that bit there, his relationship to the Lord. The queen of Sheba heard that Solomon had a relationship with the Lord. But she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving in Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones. She came to Solomon and talked to him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba saw the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his tables, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true, for I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the reports I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, she says, who has delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Let's just look back at that for a minute. This is a queen that's got her own nation. She's probably at the bee's knees where she's at, you know? She's probably loved, she probably rules well. You know, but then she's hearing about this other king, this foreign king, that probably her people were going to see. These people were traveling from nations to see this king. And she knew it was all because she had a relationship with this God, the God of Israel. And so she wanted to check him out to see if he was for real, and to see if this God was for real. And when she gets there, she finds, it says, it says, not even half of it was told me. It's far exceeded the report I heard. You see, Solomon was bearing that kind of fruit. His relationship with God was that good that it was attractive to her. It was evangelistic. In the end, in verse 9, she says, Praise be to the Lord your God. So she started to worship God. She started to, to become a believer because of the fruit that he was bearing. See, his faith was attractive to her. That's the important thing. Is our faith attractive? How many people do you think watch our lives and see if we're for real? Was that the camera for Tony, for his Nathan, that said that Billy Graham said that we are the Bible that the world's reading? Yeah. I should imagine that there's people from my past that would remember me in my in my old life and remember me as Andrew Greenoff, the drug addict, Andrew Greenoff, the, the homeless person. No hope of. I can only hope that if they came to check it out, oh Andrew Green has become a Christian, I can only hope for the same, for that to reflect my life, for my life to reflect Solomon's and the Queen of Sheba. I can only hope that they say, not even half of it was told me. It surpasses what I've heard. I can only hope for that. We should all hope for that. See, this is just like a, a generalized, really. I'm not going too deep into relationships, but I've spoken about three categories. It's a very simple message. Love God first, then love people. The most simplest way of putting the gospel to someone is love God, love people. Yeah. You know? And love yourself. And we, we're going to finish with love yourself. Um, 
Matthew chapter 5. We just have a look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. You see, when, when I believe God put this on my heart in this particular, I believe He put on my heart to, to say this this morning, use the scripture for it. What's the most important thing we can do in our relationship? If we're going to have a healthy relationship with ourselves, it's be yourself, isn't it? Be yourself. And you know, it's a temptation for me to try and be the next Todd White or the next Billy Graham or the next Nathan Bowman or, you know, whoever else. But God created me to be me, and God created you to be you. And what's it say in verse 13? It says, you are the salt of the earth. That's what Jesus calls us. He says, you're the salt of the earth. People, people are the salt of the earth. We'll bring flavor to the earth, we'll bring something unique, something diverse. And each and every one of you is completely unique. I'm completely unique. When God made me, he said, I'm never going to do that again. That's true, isn't it? He's never going to make up what I made. There might be identical twins, but they're different. See, everybody's got their own retinal scan. Everybody's got their own fingerprints. Everybody's got unique um, DNA, you know? You see, God wants us to be diverse. In verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. That's Jesus calling us the light of the world. He was referred to as being the light of the world. But with our relationship with God, we can be that light. And God wants to shine through us. God wants to shine through, through me, through you. He wants to shine through your uniqueness, your diversity, your individuality. Sometimes your craziness. But God, God wants to shine through you. It's important that we be ourselves. You know, I've found that working at the lighthouse, this is, this is and being a Christian, I've always had to try and be, in my old lifestyle, trying to be a bit of a tough guy when I've never really been a bit of a tough guy. Trying to be something that I'm not. But I've found that being myself, I can reach people better. They trust me because I build a relationship with them. They trust me because I am what it says on the tin, you know, I am Andrew Greenoff. And they're not going to get anything different. They're going to get, they're going to get my personality, you know, whether they like it or not. And whether they like me or not, you know, it does reach people. And you see, I, I believe that, you know, if we try and be somebody else and not be ourselves, I believe it hinders the work God can do through us. Yeah. And I'll leave you with one final thought. And I don't know if this is for anyone in particular today. I don't know if this is for anyone in particular in here, or it could be someone on the podcast at a later date, but I just felt it in my spirit to say this, and anybody that's, that's struggling with any kind of self-worth today, that can lead into all kinds of avenues of depression, suicidal thoughts, it's all kinds of stuff can come from, 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 from not feeling like you have any self-worth. Let me just say this, and if you don't get anything else out of this message, but this is there, please receive this. You're worth the blood of Jesus. You are worth the blood of Jesus. And God loves you. God loves every single one of us. And He wants that relationship with us. So we can be relational with others as well. Amen. Amen.